good evening. How are we doing, everybody? <laughs> good. Good, good. Uh, hey, welcome to Young Adults and welcome to our series that we entitled, I Think I Want to Marry You. I think I want to marry you. Um, and we are excited about this series. We are stoked about this series. Tonight, what we are going to be talking about is this idea of chemistry, um, this idea of connection and this thing that we call dating. Raise your hand if you have, in the last six months, been on an awesome date. Raise them high. Raise them high. Have been an awesome date. Nice. A good date. A solid date. All right. Raise your hands if in the last six months you have been on an awkward date. Raise your hands if you've been on an awkward date. <laughs> yes. You're like, you have something right here. Gross. Um, okay, raise both your hands if you're like, I would just give my right arm for a date. Just, just one date. <laughs> awesome. All right. So dating is probably where about 80% of, of this population and probably even online, about, uh, probably about 80% of our population is at. Some of you are engaged. Some of you are, are already are married. Tonight is about dating, but I believe that you're going to receive from tonight as well. Um, but probably about 80% of our congregation is, is right there, right? And so you show up and, and you know that it's the relationship series, so you dress a little bit nicer, right? Like I know the game, like the guys roll in and they've got like their leather jackets on and they're like, oh, I just rode my Harley in. <laughs> Did you see my helmet? And you're like, oh, awesome, you know, and, and they've got a little bit more swagger, right? And, and I know you fellas, like, I see you in the lobby, like, you're pretending to have a conversation with someone else, but you're like, <laughs> right? And and girls, you show up in your Lululemon gear because you want him to know that you're way into fitness, hashtag Whole30, right? Like, like, and you've got your Bible because you want you, him to know that you mean business. And you raise your hands in worship, but you're like, <laughs> like, does anybody love Jesus like I do? Um, you act like, ladies, you act like you're more mysterious than you are. Like, I've heard, I've heard such things in the lobbies of this place where it's like, oh, where are you from? And you're like, oh, places. <laughs> and the guys are like, okay. You know, like. But I'm into that, so. And, and, and there's this flirting, right? And there's these presentations and this manipulation a little bit, right, of who we are. And really, if you think, you think about it, you step back and you look at it, it's really kind of like this gigantic game. Like if we were honest with ourselves that it's, it's a little bit like a game where the goal is to play our best cards so that we can win some hearts, right? It's a little bit of a game, and everybody's playing it. According to statistics right now, there are 70 million millennials within America. 40 million of those are currently on online dating sites, meaning more than half want to play the game. They want to play the game. Tinder, which is a popular, I think, app, or is it a website? It's both, maybe. I'm not sure, but um, don't judge me. Um, <laughs> Uh, Tinder is 79% millennials. Um, that's its population. It gets 10 million users a, a, a day online. That, and and, and th from what I understand, there's 1.4 billion swipes a day. So literally, people are just like, oh, fast. I got to go fast. Finally. 
kind of go, and it's like, oh, are you playing a game? And it's like, no, I'm looking for my soulmate. You know, like, 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 oh, I thought it was plants versus zombies. My bad. Like, right? Um, that, but the reality is, is that this, this dating game, it, it can have some setbacks. And we talked about this last week, that currently the rate for Christians and non-Christians alike is that for every two marriages that are created, uh, one ends in divorce. That the statistics of people who um, are, are lonely are skyrocketing right now, despite the fact that we have all of these resources with which to play the game. And, and that 53% of breakups within millennials, 53%, so over half, these breakups happen via text, they happen via email, and they happen via Facebook. Why? Because we're actually just kind of playing a game. You know what I mean? The game results in playing house where maybe you move in together and you bring your toothbrushes, but when things get difficult, you take your toothbrush and you go home. It's a game. We're playing house. And the reality is, is that... If we're going to play the game, is that it ends up in some pretty dismal places. And so I think that tonight what I want to talk about is the reality that maybe we move from playing the game to actually doing something productive with our relationships and that we have a goal as young adults that we are going to um, defy statistics, that this room itself is going to defy statistics, that the people watching online, that your marriages are going to defy statistics and that we are going to have marriages not based on games, but based on deep, sacrificial love. And if that's true, then we need a totally different approach to the way that we do marriage. And so I titled tonight, Death to the Dating Game. Death to the Dating Game. To which you say, is this like Joshua Harris's book? To which I say, no. Sheesh. I'm cooler than that. I'm kidding. Let's bow our heads, let's pray, and ask the Lord to be here. Um, God, we thank you so much. I pray for every single marriage that comes out of this room, that it would be sacrifice-driven, that it would be beautiful, that it would be holy. God, I invite you here tonight. We pray that you bless us, bless this ministry. We seek your face. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so uh, probably you guys have had uh, this experience. I, I would like to think that most people have had this experience where you have a friend who is, let's just say, um, more appealing to the opposite sex than you are. Can I get an amen? amen? Everybody has like that friend, you know what I mean? And like the, the females are coming in hordes or the males are coming, coming by the dozens and you're just like standing on the sidelines like, What? Why? I had a friend like this. Her name was Emma. We were in college together. We were roommates. We were good friends. And Emma never, never had a problem attracting the male species, okay? She was cool. She was pretty. She, was, uh, she liked to longboard, okay? Like, um, she, she welded and did, like, art. And the guys were like, that's so weird and cool, you know? And so, and so, um, and so Emma never had a problem. I remember, like, people would, guys would come to our house, and they'd be like, do, 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 hey. And, like, the moment it was a dude, I was like, Emma's in the study. You know what I mean? Like, like just go back there. Do, 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 do. I know. Are you here to see Emma? Like, just come in. You know what I mean? And so it was like, these, I mean, she would break up with a dude, and I kid you not, that guys would show up to our house, and they'd be like, do, do, do. hey, I heard um, Emma's having a hard time. She had a breakup. And I'm here to console her. And I'm like, all right, just 
just go in, you know, like, and, and this was her life, right? And so when she, you know, and we went to a private Christian university. And so, you know, you didn't really like date as much as you like long boarded to the prayer chapel, you know what I mean, together. And so that's what Emma did. And so, but she always had these like hordes and hordes of dudes. So there was one day we were snowboarding together and we're sitting on the lift and we're having girl talk. And she's like, how's your guy life? And I'm like, shut up, Emma gosh, you know, and she's like, mine's going great, and you know, and then she's like, she tells me about these two dudes, and she's like, I can't choose between them, she's like, one of them's big and hunky, and I just love him, and the other one is like skinny, but he's kind of artistic, and I just don't know what to do, you know, and I was like, well, I'm just like, which one do you like better? Like, just, just choose one, which one do you think, like, you're gonna have a good relationship with, you know, just, just pick one, dude, and she goes, oh, I know, I know, but the game is so fun, <laughs> yes, those girls exist. <laughs> yes, those dudes exist. Yes, they're probably in this room. <laughs> she was like, the game is so fun. And what she's saying in that moment, that the game is so fun, is she's saying, I love the attention. I love the way that it makes me feel. I love that he makes me feel worthwhile, that he makes me feel worthy. And instead of choosing something that's real or that's authentic, I'm just going to play a game because I'm really enjoying it right now. And what Emma was essentially saying in that moment is that she was believing the lie that I think most of us in the room believe that what I do right now, what I choose right now, the way that I decide to act right now, that it has no repercussions for my future. That I can play games right here and right now and some way, somewhere way off in the distance, somewhere way off in the future, I will get married and then we'll make some real uh, choices for our life. That right now is just fun. That right now is just hanging out. That right now has no repercussions for my future. And this is what a majority of us in the room believe. This is what a majority of young adults believe, that I can date the way that I want right now, that it's my business, it's not anybody else's business, that I can do whatever makes me feel good or gives me butterflies, and that somewhere way over here, I'm going to get married. And bam, like Mr. Wright's going to show up or Mrs. Wright's going to show up and he's going to be sacrificial and it's going to be a marriage that is both fulfilling and sanctifying. You know what I mean? Like we have this idea that what we do here has nothing to do with what we experience here. And when you say it out loud in front of hundreds of people, all of a sudden it's like, well, my goodness, that's completely delusional. To which I say, you're absolutely correct. The truth is, is that when we play games, and the games that we play today, they will absolutely translate to the future. And they will mean um, the, the results and the repercussions of games in our future marriages. And so the reality is, is what I want to present tonight, is that we need to stop playing games now and pursue something authentic and real now. The first thing that I believe that we need to die to when it comes to the dating game is dying to visionless dating. Dying to visionless dating. Uh, visionless dating or the dating game is basically goalless dating. Like you, you start out and you, and you get in this relationship with no idea where you're going to end up. There's no vision for where you want the thing to go. There's no uh, hope or ambition or intentionality with where you're hoping it will end up right? It's visionless. It's goalless. You're just hanging out. You're just Netflix and chill, right? And so uh, 
Proverbs 29 says this. It says, where there is no vision, though, people perish. In other words, where there is no intentionality, where there is no goal, relationships get absolutely crushed. See, and if you're saying things like this about a girl or about a guy, well, we're just hanging out right now. Oh, we're just going to feel it out. We're going to see how it goes. Oh, we're just chilling right now. I mean, there's really, I mean, nothing serious. It's just for fun. If you're saying things like that right now, what you need to understand is that you're playing a game. You're playing the dating game. And literally, dating is the only thing in our lives um, where we believe and we reason that our short-term feelings will result in our long-term goals. Dating's the only thing where we believe that our short-term feelings, that our short-term uh, 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 emotions will result in our long-term ambitions. Let me tell you what I mean. Um, let's say you walk up to me and you're like, Jess, I have this goal. I want to visit every national park in America. I want to go to every, um, every, I want to go to Yellowstone. I want to go to Glacier. I want to go to Capitol Reef National Park. I want to go to all the national parks in America, to which I say, so cool. That sounds awesome. When are you starting? And you say, oh my gosh, I think I'm going to start tomorrow. And I'm like, that. That's amazing. Are you going to start by going to, you know, the West, the West Coast? Are you going to start that way and taking, you know, going uh, to those parks? Or are you going to go to the East and, and go to those parks? What are you doing first, you know? And you're like, well, I don't know. I was going to get my car and uh, put it in drive, uh, see how I feel in about 80 miles. And if I'm feeling good, you know, I'm going to keep going. And uh, if I'm feeling bad, I'm going to be like, whoa, something's up. And I'm going to turn around. I'm going to go back the other way. And I'm like, okay, uh, like that's all fine and good. And like, I'm all about adventure. But if you want to see every single national park, I mean, that's not going to happen for you. Like, that's not a reality for you. Or you could come to me and you could say, Jess, I, uh, I just got this job and I'm super stoked about it. I'm working in a cafe downtown. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that sounds amazing. And you're like, I know. And I'm like, well, and you had a dream, right? Like you, want, you had a goal. You wanted to be a financial advisor. And you're like, yes, I did. And I still do. And I'm like, well, awesome. So are you going to pay off debt in this job? And then maybe, you know, kind of network and meet some people. And you're like, I don't know. You know, I was kind of thinking I'd get into it. I'd feel it out, you know, see if I like the manager, see if I like waiting tables, and if I like it, I'm going to keep doing it. And then if I don't, I'm just not going to do it anymore, you know what I'm saying? And I'm like, okay, and you're like, well, I might get another job. I mean, I'm just, and I'm like, well, how is this supposed to end up at your ultimate goal? I, that's fine. I'm not judging, you know, but like, like how are you going to get to your ultimate goal? And you're like, Jeff, well, this is for fun right now, you know what I'm saying? And I'm like, oh, okay, right, right. To which we would say, my goodness, this person might not ever become a financial advisor. And this person might not ever see any park in America. And yet, this is how we approach dating. We get into dating with no vision of where we're going, with no idea how we're going to get there. And we get in with our feelings. And we think, my goodness, if I just have my feelings, if I just have love, you know, this love is going to shake the world, baby. It's going to be enough to carry us wherever we need to go, right? But the reality is, is that anything without intentionality, anything without vision, it perishes. It perishes. And I'm not saying to, uh, to you guys uh, tonight that you need to decide, you know, or have the intentionality, uh, you know, date one, like, hey, girl, I need to decide right now if I'm going to pursue you for marriage. Like, it doesn't need to be like that. But listen to me. The human heart deserves more honor and intentionality than you just having fun. 
Chuck E. Cheese's as an adult is just for fun. That's just for fun. You're like, skee-ball's awesome, right? Like, that's just for fun. You buying a lottery ticket just for fun? Like, that's just for fun. You wearing your stretchy pants and your, this is a natural libre, it's just for fun. <laughs> Joshua, <laughs> sometimes you wear sweaty pants. Uh, but dating relationships that will translate to your future marriages, can we agree that they can't be just for fun? Amen? And I'm not saying that it needs to be heavy. I'm not saying that you can't fall in love. What I am saying is that there needs to be a vision. Do you have a vision for your dating relationship? If so, what is it? Is it that you guys would pursue God together, that you'd attend church together? Is it that, you know, you'd, you'd figure out if you both love serving together? Is it that you would, um, in your dating relationship, that you would decide, you know, um, what outdoor activities that you like to do, that you would decide, you know, how you're going to care about other people with your relationship? Do you have a vision for your relationship or not? And here's the crazy thing is we, is we think that it might actually be safer if we don't have a plan. It might actually be safer if we don't have a vision at all. And what you need to understand is that those relationships, the ones without vision, they shipwreck harder and they have more casualties than ones that do. Let me give you an example. There's a guy here, and he's like, oh, my gosh. And he meets a honey, and she's smoking. And she goes to church, and she's available. So, hey, we got that going for it. You know, and you get, in, you get into it, and you're like, I'm just going to drive by my feelings. And so you fall in love or lust, not sure which because we don't have a plan. And a few, you know, you don't have a plan for how you're going to orchestrate your relationship. And so you kind of like seclude yourself from your friends because, you know, you don't, that's not a priority to you, to you because it was never a part of your vision. And so um, you maybe just start hanging out together. And because you never had a vision of maybe, you know, pursuing the Lord together or attending church together, um, you stop going to church and pretty soon, uh, you know, you don't have a vision for how you're going to stay pure. And so you begin pushing boundaries and pretty soon you take steps that you never thought you were going to take. And then one day she wakes up and she decides, my goodness, this is not really what I wanted. I'm not really sure how I got here. She breaks up with him and he's like, what happened? I know what happened. You got into it and you never had a vision. You got into a car, bud, with no direction, no idea of which way you were going to go and you were hoping you'd get to Yellowstone. See, visionless dating, it has casualties, and so we need to die to visionless dating. See, society does it in a way that's completely different than the way that God is calling us to do it. He is saying, have a goal, have an ambition, have integrity enough for your heart that you have some type of goal with what you're doing. Die to visionless dating. Number two, we die to our childish ways. We die to our childish ways. Listen to me, young adults, tonight, God is calling you to become a man of God. He is calling you to become a woman of God. He is not calling you to stay a boy, and he is not calling you to stay a girl. In uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter, we hear it all the time at weddings, you know, that, that love is um, kind, that love um, is, oh my gosh, I'm like forgetting it right now. I literally was reciting it, whatever. You know what I'm talking about, okay. So, so I literally was back there rehearsing and it's gone and I don't care and I'm embarrassed, but that's fine. Humble me, Lord, in front of everyone. So, um, so 
so this is the one that love is patient, love is kind. Uh, that, you know that 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 love is long suffering. That it keeps no records of wrongs, right? And and we say these things at weddings. And it's the excellence of love chapter. Like, this is Paul saying, this is what love looks like. This is love at its best. This is what movies are made of. This is sacrificial love that it makes up the best types of marriages. And right in the middle of this chapter, he says this. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. And I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Paul is writing a chapter about love, and he's saying, if you want this kind of love, you need to put childish ways behind you. Why? Because children are only capable of self-love. They are only capable of, of, of taking in love. They're not capable of giving in love. They're only capable of being selfish with this. And you know how I know? Because I have a two-year-old. And legitimately, the other weekend, we were hanging out at the retreat, and Camden Roberts, who's Tyler Roberts and Whitney Roberts' little boy, they were playing together. And I woke up one morning to them playing together, and there was a little uh, toy. I think it was a Batman toy. And both of them were like, mine, 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 mine. I mean, it was like Finding Nemo and the seagulls, you know, like, mine, 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 mine. This is all that they know. And listen to me. As a child, this is all that we know, but not so with men and not so with women. Men and women that Paul is talking about in this chapter, they know how to give sacrificially. They know how to love in this kind of way, in a most excellent way. And according to research, they're starting to say that adolescence, or the age of you becoming an adult, um, that it used to be just in your teens, but now it's extending into the 20-somethings. There's a book out there, it's called Slouching into Adulthood, and it basically talks about how adolescence has been extended, and now it's until you're like 25, 26. In other words, that right now the world is expecting nothing of you, and that you don't really need to expect anything of yourself. That getting a job, that becoming independent, that maturing in the Lord, those are options. They're not mandates by society. So you do what you want because you're just a kid, right? Do what feels right. Just play. And we're like, oh, man, but I want to be like King David, you know? I want to like, have a big call and I want to pursue the Lord. I want to I be a man after God's own heart. I want to be a woman after God's own heart. And th like, that's cool. But understand this, when he was 17 years old, he was slaying giants, and he was preparing to become a king. Most of us, when we were 17, like, we still used our parents' gas cards and, and didn't know how to load a laundry, you know, a, a thing. <laughs> I do laundry sometimes. <laughs> Boys and girls don't get married. But if they do, you can probably guess what kind of marriage that would be. And Paul uses this word put. He says you put childish ways behind you. See, I think sometimes we think that adulthood is something that happens to us. Well, I will become an adult when I get that right job. I will, I will become a woman when I get married. I will become a man when I get married. I will become a man when I get that car or that house or that thing. That, that adulthood is something that happens to you. That's what we think. But Paul says, no, you put childish ways behind you that you make a decision and you say, you know what? I want love that's most excellent. I want love that is most sacrificial. I want to have a marriage. I want to have a life that's not about me, that's about serving someone else, that's about laying down my life for someone else. And so I put to death my childish ways. 
Some of you in here tonight, listen to me, males and females alike, you need to get a job. Why? Because you're a man of God. You are a man of God. Some of you in here tonight, you need to learn to control your emotions. Why? Because you are a woman. You're no longer a girl. Some of you in here, you need to put drama behind you. You chase it like you chase boys. Because you are a woman. You are no longer a girl. You need to stop toying with people's hearts. Why? Because only kids play with toys. Tonight, God is calling all of us to become men and women. You might be married in here tonight, and God is saying, be a man and be a woman. Put childish, selfish ways behind you. We put to death our childish ways. And the last death that we must suffer if we are going to put to death the dating game is death to dating desperation. Death to dating desperation. When it comes to desperation, God makes it clear all throughout Scripture in the New Testament and in the Old Testament that the thing that we are supposed to be desperate for, the thing that we are supposed to yearn for, the thing that we are supposed to long for with all of our hearts, with every ounce of our being, the thing that we're supposed to journal about, the thing that we're supposed to cry out about is that we are supposed to long for God himself. Scripture says this in the Psalms. He says, my soul yearns and even faints for what? For a boyfriend. (laughs) Dang it. (laughs) For the courts of the Lord, my heart and my flesh cry out. For the living God, Jesus help us. God talks all throughout the New Testament and the Old Testament about about that we seek him with all of our hearts and all of our souls and all of our minds and all of our strengths. He talks all throughout scripture about this. And then in the book of Isaiah, he talks about this thing that his people are doing where they begin that there's this mantle, there's this throne that we have in our hearts. And he talks about the reality that some people are taking uh, not God and putting it on the throne of their hearts, but that they're actually putting other things there, that they're actually putting other people there, that they're actually putting um, money there or ambition there or whatever, like in in the throne of their heart. And he looks at them and he says, be careful, Israelites, he says, because you are performing this thing called idolatry. And he says, idolatry is a sin. And not only that, young adults, but listen to me. Idolatry in in the kingdom of God, it is a sin of high caliber because we are essentially saying, God, I actually really want something more than I want you. And he says, oh, my goodness, be careful. Because a whole bunch of us in here. Treat the idea of finding someone else like the answer to every single need that we would ever have or ever want. That we idolize marriage. That we idolize a man or a woman. And we walk around and we're like, oh God. Oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God. Please tonight, let her be here tonight. God, I need a sign. God, tonight, give me a sign. God, I'm going to look around. Let her be wearing pink, Lord. Or, or white. Just, just a general color, Lord. Let me find her tonight. Like, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. I really want to get married. I'm so lonely, Lord. Please bring me a husband. 
And he says, first off, actually, he doesn't say this, but I think we could all agree this. First off, let me just let you know that if that is you tonight, A, it's okay. I've been there. I've done that. But you are scaring away your prospects. (laughs) Because you look like a roaring lion, like ready to devour them. Like, they're like, oh, God. (laughs) You know, like, you mean business. You're really intense, you know. You're like, are you my wife? And they're like, okay. Let me go over here. But secondly, that if you are doing this, you need to know that your desperation for a spouse is actually idolatry. It's idolatry. And that you are missing the gifts that God wants to present to you in this very moment, mostly himself. That he has a plan for you right now that you are missing, that he has dreams for you and memories for you that he wants you to experience right now, but you're too busy being anxious and frustrated, put to death dating desperation. The dating game is costly, guys. It costs us our hearts. It costs our spiritual attention. It costs us our integrity sometimes. And so what do we do? And I just want to finish up by giving us three simple things. It's nothing you haven't ever heard before, but I don't think you can hear it enough because I see people not do this all the time. And so the first thing is this. Get a vision. Get a vision. Go home tonight and journal out every single thing, every single dream that you have for the person that you would like to marry. First and foremost, they should be a Christian. And when I say they are a Christian, here's what I mean. I don't mean they believe in God. I don't mean they come to young adults sometimes. I mean that they have a love for Jesus that surpasses your own. Scripture says this in 2 Corinthians. It says, don't be yoked together. Don't be joined together. Don't get married to an unbeliever. For, listen to this, you guys. What can righteousness and wickedness have in common? There is going to come a point, no matter how hot he is, no matter how hot she is, that you are going to look the other person in the eye and see, a religious darkness and they are not going to be able to problem solve the way you do they're not going to be able to have trust in God the way that you do do not be yoked to an unbeliever they need to be a Christian that is completely sold out they should have good relationships they should have uh, good relationships with their family they should be cordial they should be good uh, to servers and to waiters make a list I know with mine I got super specific and I'm like I want him to love music that I like I want him to be athletic I want him to be called to ministry right like I was specific I had this specific goal and listen to me the FBI whenever they are training people on counterfeit money okay they don't show them um, bill after bill after bill or check after check after check of counterfeit bills or counterfeit checks what they do is all day every day they study the real thing they get a vision they study exactly what it's going to look like exactly what it's going to um where the numbers are going to be where the little you know idiosyncrasies in the paper are going to be because the moment something shows up that's counterfeit Boom, they know it. And guys would walk into my life and they would have like a little bit of an anger problem and I'd be like, sweet, I'm out. Guys would walk into my life and I could see that the way that they treated their family was dishonoring and I was like, yo, I want you to be nice to my mom. I could recognize a counterfeit like that because I had a vision. Number two, and probably more importantly, get a vision for yourself. Get a vision for yourself. What kind of wife do you want to be in here, young adult? Do you want to be sacrificial? 
Or do you want to be controlling? Do you want to be pure-hearted? Do you want to be tender? Then maybe you need to go get some counseling so that you can heal some wounds before you get into a relationship. What kind of wife do you want to be? Men in here, what kind of husband do you want to be? Do you want to lay your life down? Do you want to go before her? Do you want to say of other, you know, be able to uh, minister together? What kind of husband do you want to be? Write it down. Make it plain so that a herald can run with it. Write it down. Number three, get a vision for the type of purity that you want to have. Doug is going to talk about this more next week, but get a vision for purity because listen to me. There is nothing like having good intentions of, oh, I want to stay pure before marriage and then not making a plan. Have a vision for when you're going to want to leave his house or you're going to want to leave her house. Have a vision for the way that you're going to treat her as a daughter of the king or you're going to treat him as a son of the king. Have a vision. And not just like the what, oh, I want to stay pure. But why? I want to stay pure because I want on my wedding night to know that the two of us are bonding in a way that is exactly the way scripture intended. And listen to me, I've heard this a couple of different times, and so this is just a bunny trail, but let me go there. That some of you in here, you actually believe that you need to have sex before marriage so that you're good at sex in marriage. To which I say this, if someone is good at sex on their wedding night, what? What kind of culturally messed up brains do we have? If we actually think that's what Jesus had planned for you, when in actuality he wants the tenderness and the vulnerability to be shared with just one person, come on, church, get a vision, not just a what, but a why. Grasp an identity is the next thing. We get a vision and we grasp an identity. Jesus says this in John 15. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus says, there's an order to this. You're my kids. You are the branches and I'm the vine. And you stay in me and you receive life and you receive fullness and you receive joy. And I fill your cup to overflowing. He's saying, only in the vine can a branch survive. And sometimes people will get into relationships and they will um, not know what their identity is. And like John talked about last week, they will come with a cup and they'll be like, well, can you make me feel good about myself? Can you validate my manhood? Can you make me feel beautiful? Can you make me feel worthy? Fill my cup. And what we end up with is people in relationships and in marriages and they're two branches, but they're like, be my vine. And it's like, oh, I can't be your vine. Like, I'm trying, but be, be my vine. You know, like. <laughs> and so learn tonight. Go home and find out who you are in Christ, that you are a saint, that you are a child of God, that you are holy and dearly loved, that you are holy and blameless, that you are seated at the right hand of God in Christ Jesus. These are realities in my heart. Are they realities in your heart? Come on, that we become what Jesus called us to be, that we have the identity so that we come into a relationship and we're like, yo, girl, I don't need anything from you. I just want to get to know you. Does that sound good? Grasp an identity. And lastly, return to your first love. Return to your first love. Revelation says this. I know your works, young adults. And here's the deal. This is such a special group of people with special works. 
He says, I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance. I know how long you've waited for a spouse. How you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, have found them to be false. I know that you are enduring patiently and bearing for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. And then he says this, but I have one thing against you. You have abandoned your first love. God loves marriage. He created it. But he never intended it to replace our first love. He never intended it to come first in our hearts. He never meant for it to hold a mantle in your heart that it was never supposed to hold. And tonight, I believe that he's just saying to a whole bunch of us, like, do you want to get married? That's awesome. But I married you on a cross. And I miss you. And I would love it if you'd come back. I would love it if you'd return to your first love. I would love it if you would look at me the way that you look at your computer screen. I would love it if you would return. And here's what I don't think we don't understand. At, At large, the church at large, sometimes I don't understand that his love is the solution to all things. That his love is literally the fix of all things. Some of you have no idea how God feels about you. That his all encompassing love is for you. That his love can heal you and prepare you for marriage. That his love can fill you and sustain you in marriage. That his love can free you and release you in marriage. But it must come first it has to come first he's saying I want to do it I want it together I want you to experience all of these things return to your first love come home to me remove that girl or that boy from the throne of your heart and if everybody would stand I'd like to read scripture over you it says this Can anything separate us from Christ's love? I'm convinced that nothing can separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries for tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed to us in Christ Jesus our Lord. He speaks this over to you tonight. He is your first love. And listen to me. We pursue him not as a goal to an end you don't pursue him tonight or any moment of your life to receive something from him you don't say God I'm going to pursue you in hopes that you give me a wife God I'm going to pursue you in hopes that you give me a husband no you pursue him because he loved you first and he would love to romance your heart and heal you and free you and release you tonight And listen to me, here's the reality, is that you're going to be so in love with him and so in love with him, and you're going to be pursuing him and loving him, and every now and then he's going to speak to you and he's going to say, I love you, daughter. I love you, son. And you're going to say, I love you, dad. And you're going to look around and you're going to be like, that one? And he'll be like, no. And you're going to worship and you're going to run after him and you're going to pursue him and you're going to look to him and every now and then you're going to look around and you're going to be like oh well there's someone and he'll be like I know just keep loving me 
and you're going to love him and let him fill you and let him give you your identity. Pursue him. Pursue your call. And you're going to look around and you're going to say, oh my goodness, well, they're still there. And he's going to say, I know. That might just be someone who loves me as much as you love me. God, I pray that you would bless every single person in here with a deep yearning for you. And God, tonight I just have one question. And if there are people in here who don't know who Jesus is, you don't know this first love, you don't know his ambitions for you, that he would cross any ocean for you, that he died and bled for you, the kind of love that movies is made of, that he came, that he pursued you to the depths of hell retrieved you back for himself. If you're in here tonight and you don't know this Jesus, you want to know this kind of God, I want to invite you to know your first love. And so tonight if you're in here and you do not experience Jesus Christ as King, you do not experience him as Savior, would you just raise your hand tonight because I would love to uh, pray for you. If you're saying, I would love to meet Jesus, I want to know this first love, just raise your hand nice and high because I want to pray for you. I want you to know who he is. Amen. Amen. God, I thank you so much for every single person. I pray that you would bless us, God, that we would pursue you with everything that we have, that every single person in here that raised their hand, God, that you would just be with them tonight, fill them up to overflowing as only you can. And God, you are worthy of our very best, of our first. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship.